Storm, a good omens podfic, written by Entangled Now and Naru Moro, and read by Ja. Chapter 1 Not bringing the Bentley had definitely been the right idea. The road, which is really just a winding trail of dirt and stones, would have been a bad choice to try and navigate, even before the snow had started falling. But now it's almost hidden beneath a layer of delicate white flakes. Crowley's boots crunch through it as he climbs out of the car to get a good look at the cabin he'd rented for a week. It's a solid thing, he'll give it that, a one-story structure in pale wood that's at fifty meters back from the lake. He has to frown, though, because it doesn't look quite as luxurious as it had in the brochure Anathema had shoved under his nose. The glossy pages had promised him a comforting atmosphere, a crackling fire, soft furnishings, maybe even a glass of whiskey by the lake with new friends. In person, the place looks dark and ominous and cold. Take a break in the woods, he grumbles under his breath, lifting his case and back out of the trunk of the taxi he'd taken from the train station. A week of fresh air, some scenic lake views, no deadlines, no emails from your agent. He pays the man who'd brought him all the way out here, then watches him drive back the way they'd come, leaving him alone in the wilderness. He hadn't even checked whether the heating worked. Crowley reminds himself that he'd promised Anathema he would stop thinking of the worst possible things that could happen. It was just tempting the universe, but it was a tough habit to break. How bad could it be? It's a proper holiday destination and everything. It probably gets checked regularly. He heads for the cabin, climbs the few wooden steps and kicks snow off his boots. At least it's not the only building here. He can see others dotted around the lake, though most of the windows are dark. He's not surprised. It's too late for the holidays and too early for the start of the fishing season. The twinkle of a few occupied cabins are just about visible on the other side of the lake. The closest one to him is a few minutes walk away, but it looks like no one's home. This is what he gets for letting Anathema book a holiday for him. Crowley is not exactly a fan of nature, never has been. He's not the sort of person who enjoys the thought of hiking through a forest at dawn, or camping, or boating out to get a closer look at what he's pretty sure is just more water. If he had to be alone for another holiday, he would have picked somewhere warmer, somewhere with a nightlife at least somewhere with alcohol, where he would absolutely have drunk far too much, indulged in a spot of pity-wanking, and probably tried to work through the whole break anyway. He can hear that perfectly in Anathema's voice, and he has to give it a sneer and a head-tip of acknowledgement. She knows him far too well. The key fits in the lock, the door swinging open under the encouraging toe of his boot, and he surveys his home for a week. It's not as rustic as he was worried it might be. It is cold inside, but it's not drafty, and it doesn't smell of anything but wood and air freshener. The furniture is solid and comfortable-looking. There are throw blankets on every surface hopefully not hiding stains of dubious origin, and a friendly table for a cosy breakfast with a significant other, which Crowley doesn't have. 
He's not likely to touch the half-filled bookshelf, but there's a huge bed and large windows which give a view out across the lake. The kitchen is as well-stocked as they said it would be, and turning the heating on is a simple matter of flicking a switch and waiting for it to warm up. The fireplace is... To be honest, it's a fireplace. Crowley will admit to not having much experience with the concept, having mostly grown up with gas fires and radiators. There's a small stack of wood pieces next to it, clearly designed to go inside the metal frame. He does also vaguely recall the much larger stack of wood outside, apparently not just to add to the rustic cabin aesthetic, but also intended for use. There's even a pamphlet on the mantelpiece, which Crowley lifts and flicks through. A list of things he should and shouldn't do. Fire safety, the usual. Crowley has lived most of his life in large cities. He's never needed to burn anything to stay warm. Not that the thought doesn't appeal, in an odd sort of way. Maybe he'll have a go at lighting it up once it gets dark, get into the spirit of things. He sets his bags at the bottom of the bed. There was more snow forecast, so he'd packed for cold weather. He may live in the city, but he's not an idiot. He knows about wearing sensible boots and layering and not wandering off. He doesn't intend to leave the cabin much, so he doubts the gloves and hat are going to get much use, but he brought them just in case. He hates wearing a hat, though. He has a horrible suspicion that it makes his hat look too big or too small. Definitely stupid. He's mostly intending to stay right here. Anathema was right about one thing. He needed a break. Crowley takes his coat off, tosses it over the stand and makes himself coffee. He watches the still falling snow while he drinks it. It's coming down harder out there now, big flakes that will occasionally drift and stick to the windows. It's probably going to settle too, lending the whole lake a picturesque Christmas card sort of look to it a few months too late. It's the sort of thing you stand at the window and watch with someone else. Warmed by the thought that you're going to curl up in bed with them later. A comfortable tangle of limbs under blankets, talking into the night. Kisses leading to something more, as the snow piles up outside. Perfect sort of weather for that. If you have someone. If you manage to be the sort of person who doesn't drive everyone else away with the combination of brutal honesty and defensive shittiness, that he doesn't quite know how to turn off. Crowley takes an angry mouthful of coffee that's still too hot, swallows it anyway. Yeah, maybe a holiday by himself is exactly what he deserves. His resting scowl through the window turns into a frown when he realizes he can see something through the snow. Movement heading for the next cabin over. What looks like a figure in a long beige coat carrying an overly large suitcase towards the snow-covered steps. Crowley squints into the glittering outside. From where he's standing, he can see a fluff of pale blonde hair, the steady pull the man gives dragging his suitcase to the door of the cabin. Crowley toys with the idea of venturing outside, maybe having the man settle in, start to conversation, make a friend, do what he's supposed to be doing in this 
godforsaken place. Yeah, he can do that. He's half sunk into the thought when the man turns around, smiling with a curl of lips so bright it's almost dazzling. Crowley forgets about the coffee mug in his hand, eyes fixed on the soft curve of the stranger's cheeks, the beautiful pink shape of a mouth, the kind eyes. His heart gives a quick, bright thought, warmth flushing his face. He hadn't expected his new neighbor to be this handsome. Which is absolutely nothing of importance, is it? Not relevant at all. It's an observation like any other. Except the handle of the mug seems now slick in his grasp, and his decision to go over there and face him is wilting rapidly. Melting away. What's he even going to say? It's stupid to be rattled by the sight of someone he doesn't even know, or by the prospect of exchanging a few pleasantries. There's no reason for it, as if just talking to the man could put Crowley in the front line to face feelings that surge and crash loudly inside him when he thinks about the possibility that a few well-chosen words could maybe set him on a path to a different sort of dynamic with that handsome stranger. A delusion that bites vicious in the echo of the silence of his lonely cabin. Fuck that. He's about to drift away from the window when he sees the man give a hearty cheer in his direction and, to Crowley's horror, start walking towards his door. There's not much he can do but praise himself for the imminent collapse while his stomach seems to have dropped to his boots. He doesn't have to wait long for the rap on the door. Putting his mug aside, Crowley resigns himself to entertain this, to be civil. It's not the end of the world. Hello there, the man says when the door opens. I saw you from over there, and given that I think we're going to be neighbors, I thought I'd introduce myself. He offers a gloved hand in Crowley's direction. I'm Aziraphale. Um, Crowley manages. As opening lines go, it isn't the worst in his repertoire, which is sad in itself. He shakes Aziraphale's hand, not giving time to let his brain catch on the sure, warm hold before pulling back. Nice to meet you, Crowley. Aziraphale smiled softly, crossing his hands behind his back. I rented the cabin for the weekend, though it seems likely I won't get to enjoy the surroundings. He cranes his neck, looking at the flakes swaying in the air. One of them lands on the tip of his delicate, upturned nose when he looks heavenwards and Crowley is tempted to sweep it away with a finger. But Aziraphale rocks eyes with him again. It's snowing rather strongly, isn't it? I suppose, Crowley adds. He tries to give an effortless shrug, some sort of relaxed roll of his shoulders to show how carefree and at ease he is. Succeeds, barely so. He should say something, give a proper comment about the weather, but all that comes out of him is some sort of grating throat noise that sounds almost rude. Anyway... Aziraphale's smile dims a tenth, looking past Crowley's shoulder. I'll leave you to your things. I guess you must be busy. It was a pleasure. He turns on his heels before Crowley can squeeze in a single word, 
and crunch us back to his own cabin. Perfect. Christ, he's still a fucking idiot. Crowley closes the door, feeling a wash of heat trip down his neck. Apparently, being almost 50 doesn't save anyone from acting like a stoppered ass. After such flawless interaction, he doesn't think Aziraphale will go out of his way to talk to him at all. There goes his chance to meet new people. Crowley unpacks his laptop, sets it up on a nearby table, fiddling with the cords, just to take his mind off things. Not that it's working entirely. His thoughts fling back to Aziraphale. To how gentle he'd been, how happy, how genuinely caring. If Crowley wasn't such a shitty wreck of a person, unable to make small talk for five minutes, perhaps they could have been friends. He cuts the thoughts off with a roll of eyes. There's only a minimal amount of pathetic self-loathing he'll allow himself daily, a habit he won't break even away from London. His laptop pings on. As nice as it is to entertain the idea of Aziraphale stepping into his cabin, maybe drinking a glass of wine with him, Crowley decides it's time to work. Not much else he can do in this grey place. Well, that could certainly have gone better. Aziraphale doesn't look back on the return to his own cabin. He fears his determination to make the best of this holiday had resulted in him being a little too enthusiastic in his introduction, though, in his defense, he'd been quite unprepared when the door opened to reveal the most striking man he'd ever laid eyes on lounging in the doorway. Aziraphale had registered the sleek, unbroken line of him, the red hair, and the surprising honey-colored eyes, before manners had urged him to offer a hand, which had been grasped firmly back. But a brief hope of camaraderie, shared wine and conversation, had faltered, and then tumbled away when the man seemed uninterested in extending much of an introduction or in continuing conversation. Not that Aziraphale could blame him, of course not. They were strangers to each other. The snowfall has increased significantly since his arrival. There's now a cold spread of white across the shoulders of his coat and hair. They'd forecast a few inches overnight, with the chance of high winds. He checked to be safe. It wasn't as if they were in the absolute middle of nowhere, and the cabins have power and food, so it's likely to be a bother rather than a genuine worry. He'd left his case at the top of the stairs. Very silly of him, really as it's now covered in snow. This was originally supposed to be a getaway for two. Gabriel had booked the tickets for months ago, something about a private cabin being romantic. Of course, he'd also been sleeping with his sister Michael's fiancée, so Aziraphale can't help but wonder if there wasn't a touch of kint to it all, if Gabriel even feels such a thing. Their whole relationship, in hindsight, seems to have been built on lies and convenience, a fact which hasn't at all been kind to his own confidence. He hadn't left the bookshop for any significant amount of time for weeks not wanting to bump into any of their mutual friends. Aziraphale finally manages to get his case in through the door, pushing it shut behind him, 
though not before a flurry of snow managers to drift its way inside after which he knows is going to quickly leave puddles on the floorboards he'd consider just tearing both tickets up having no wish to dwell on the break-up any further with forced reminders but neither did he enjoy being around people who'd probably known about gabriel's infidelity all along and had chosen to say nothing who were even now probably discussing how very stupid he was for not having worked it out himself he's not he's not going to think about it any more this place really is lovely all shades of warm wood and polished copper accents the furniture looks impossible comfortable and there are soft blankets everywhere to banish the chill a bookcase holds a selection he can't wait to poke his way through and the thick floor rugs look inviting for bare toes large windows on both sides of the cabin provide views of the lake and the woods and currently the falling snow aziraphale opens a bottle of wine and pours himself a glass finally opening his case and filling the spacious chest of drawers and wardrobe with his own belongings he'll make the best of the break it's been a very difficult few months tracy is perfectly capable of looking after the shop for a few days and Aziraphale has already decided that he's not going to answer anyone else's call. After investigating the cabin a bit and enjoying the atmosphere, he tells himself that the boiler has had long enough to warm up, which means hot water, if he wants to test the bathroom. The idea of it is very tempting. The journey had been long and not the most comfortable, and he's chilled all the way through. Lounging in a hot bath in a cabin in the wilderness with a glass of wine, while snow falls outside, that seems like the sort of decadence he should be allowed to indulge in. He sets the bottle and glass down on the table and heads into the bathroom. It's a cosy, bright space with tiling and wood panels both, fluffy clean towels on the rail and an assortment of mini toiletries left for him there are even hot water bottles for cold nights oh how splendid he turns on the hot tap setting his fingers underneath and then regretting it when the water that comes out is icy cold he gives it a second and then tries again still cold but gradually warming the boiler gives a clunk clunk and the water temperature finally moves to tepid and then stays that way after another hopeful minute he shuts off the bath perhaps the boiler will take a little longer to heat up he hopes it makes the effort before it gets dark the cabin's temperature hasn't improved much since he entered and the large cream jumper he's wearing isn't quite keeping out the worst of it he'd imagine the heating had all been tested though they'd been open again for a few weeks people venturing up for post-christmas breaks as Eraphiel investigates the kitchen further deciding on some tea to keep his hands warm He's delighted to discover that they certainly hadn't exaggerated when they said that the kitchen was fully stocked. The cupboards contain boxes of tea, jars of coffee, generous packets of rice and pasta, a box of eggs, tinned fruits and vegetables. The small fridge contains milk, butter and a selection of cheeses and cold meat. There are even small boxes of shop-bought cakes stacked by the kettle. Well, I certainly won't starve over the weekend. An observation which Sick 
significantly improves his mood. He's tempted by the possibility of a slice of pared walnut cake, but in the end he settles for heating up some mushroom soup with a few slices of thick bread. Something warm and filling sounds like exactly what he needs right now. By the time he's sitting at the small table, dipping bread into soup, the cabin is finally starting to warm up a little. But the whole world outside is now white in contrast. The winds blowing handfuls of snow at the window with an enthusiasm that he's never seen up close. Considerably more than a few inches. Aziraphale slides his phone over and taps the weather, which hadn't updated in a few hours. He watches it change from minus two to minus six beside the snow icon, and there's now a red warning for blizzard conditions and low temperatures overnight. It's a good job there are so many blankets tossed around the place. He might need to throw a few of them on the bed tonight. Luckily, the place looks solidly put together. He expects it had survived the odd spate of bad weather. The water is finally hot enough for a bath, but he finds that now his belly is full, he's no longer in the mood. Instead, he tucks himself into the wonderfully comfortable armchair with a selection of books that he'd brought to read. A few chapters in, and he draws the blanket off the backrest and wraps the fleecy fabric around his shoulders. Aziraphale drifts for a while in one of his favorite mysteries. Knowing what's going to happen doesn't take any enjoyment from the journey. Never has for him. But the time he's reached the end, the mystery explained, the murderer unmasked, it's dark enough inside to think about turning some lamps on. A look up confirms that it's still snowing outside, the hard gusts of wind pushing it towards the cabins, where it piles against the stairs and the outer door. If he were to venture out, he's fairly sure it would reach his knees now. He checks his phone again. It now says minus seven. And again, there's a red warning for severe disruption due to snow, temperatures overnight expected to plummet. He taps into the weather report for the area he's in and feels his first prickle of genuine worry. Just to put his mind at ease, he walks to the corner where the boiler still works steadily. If the worst comes to the worst, he needs to have another source of heat. Coasting about the room, he realizes the fireplace had been filled in and replaced with a modern television set that now occupies most of the wall. Oh, bugger! Nothing has happened yet, he reminds himself, and it's likely nothing will. His fears are only amplified by the darkness outside, by how desolated this whole place looks. He needs some tea, or maybe some wine. No, definitely tea. It takes him less than five minutes to prepare it. Cup in hand, he watches through the window the twirl and dance of the snow, whitish dots against the deep blue of the sky. Not far away, in the next cabin, Crowley's cabin, his brain supplies helpfully, the lights are on. He can't see any details due to the blurring white of the snowfall, but Aziraphale wonders idly about what Crowley might be doing right at this moment. Sliding in carefully, the sight of his neighbor pushes into his mind grazes along his skin. Perhaps Crowley sitting on his couch, splayed for a comfortable read. 
Perhaps he's puttering about his own kitchen. It's a gentle, low curiosity that a Xerophile can't shake loose, even if he can't quite pinpoint the reason for it. Whatever Crowley's doing, Aziraphale hopes that he's warm. He disregards the tuck of his stomach when he thinks he can see a flash of crimson in the distance. He's being very silly. Aziraphale taps his mobile again, just to take his mind off things, realizing it now marks minus eight, and the red sign is still a pressing constant. If it continues to drop this quickly, there's a noise then, breaking the silence around him, a metal sort of thumping. Aziraphale swirls to it, only to see flashing lights on the boiler. He has a very good idea of what has happened before crossing the room to check on the thing. The boiler has stopped working probably due to a frozen condensate pipe. Aziraphale breathes in, slightly thready, tries to not let panic set in his stomach. There's likely no way he can find and fix the guilty pipe to have the boiler running again, not with the system being built within the walls. He would probably need an assortment of tools he doesn't possess right at this moment. Aziraphale's eyes slide to the window, to the cabin in front of his. No, Aziraphale sets his teeth, fists his hands, telling himself firmly that he won't go out there and disturb his neighbor. Absolutely not. There are plenty of blankets, and he can fill some hot water bottles from the kettle to try to endure the sudden drop in temperature. He can already feel the sting of the cold biting under his jumper, licking on the flashes of bare skin exposed. Neck, hands, cheeks. No matter... Aziraphale puts his plan into motion, and quickly. It isn't long before he's tucked in the couch with a big amount of blankets, the eider down from the bed, and three hot water bottles. It all feels rather insufficient when he looks at his phone, sees the mark dropping to minus ten. But there's nothing else he can do. He doesn't really realize when his teeth start chattering, plumes of his breath ghosting in the now cold air of the room. A shivery tremor runs along his spine, one that doesn't seem to stop, that seems to wreck him entirely. His head thumps as if under pressure, and when he looks to the fold of an afghan in his grasp, he sees the burgundy of it in deep contrast with the very evident bloom of his nails. From far away, he falls into the thought that this isn't Optima, that this isn't good. But Aziraphale can't bring himself to move, can't bring himself to push up and do what he knows must be done. His body feels very heavy, time dripping honey slow. Perhaps he could take a nap, not a very long one, just a quick shut-eye that would help him to gain focus on the situation he's facing. Aziraphale's eyes flutter shut, his arms and legs loosening in the legs sprawl over the cushions of the sofa. Just then he feels a bright sting of pain blooming in his mouth, and he can taste the metallic tang of blood pooling around his tongue. His attention sharpens, the pain of the bite dragging Aziraphale back finally to the situation he's in. He can't stay here cooped up waiting to freeze to death. As much as he doesn't enjoy the idea of disturbing his neighbor, 
he knows it's the sensible thing to do. Yes, he's going to ask for help. This is the last time Crowley is taking advice from Anathema on where to take a short break. A sprinkle of snow had turned into an endless bloody snowstorm that's apparently going to just continue on forever. He'd never seen such a heavy volume of snow outside of Christmas movies. It's three feet deep out there now, and he can feel the deep chill coming off the windows. He'd cracked the boiler as high as it would go, and he's wearing a jumper, a jacket, and a scarf now. He's given up on work a few hours ago when his fingers started to go numb, and he'd made himself a cheese and a chive omelette, but he's pretty sure the calories from that have already been used up moving around to keep warm. God knows how deep it's going to be come morning. The whole route up to the lake could be impassable. He's definitely going to have a word with Anathema regarding her pick of good spots for a short holiday. Still, they know people are up here in the cabins. They might get snow in overnight, but it won't be for long. They must be used to the white stuff up here. They'll send snowplows and things. Men with shovels. It's a holiday destination. They can't just leave people stranded because Winter decided to put up one last middle finger. He checks his phone, which is only on 18% power. He should charge it at some point. The temperature outside is pushing minus 14, and it's not even 9pm yet, which means it's going to get colder still. Maybe a lot colder. He isn't thrilled about that. He'd bought cold weather clothing, not supplies for a polar expedition. Crowley detests cold with a passion. Something about not being able to retain as much body heat as he should, hence always freezing, too much neck. No one to hold on to for a warm touch. Crowley pushes the idea out of his mind and focuses on reality. They are heading for 20 below, which he refuses to believe is an actual thing he is going to have to deal with. That's ludicrous. That's arctic temperatures, surely. Should he start hanging blankets over the windows to conserve heat? Wrapping things in tinfoil to protect them? What sort of place doesn't have... He nearly drops his phone in shock when the quiet rush of the snow is broken by a dragging thud and then a muffled sound of knocking. What the hell? Crowley stares at the door for a second with visions of men in cold weather gear showing up on his doorstep and hurrying him back to civilization. That seems unlikely, though. The knocking comes again, soft but fast. He sets his phone down and heads over, pulls the door open. He half regrets it for a second, because the cold that lances in around his legs is incredible. A biting slap of it that goes straight through his clothes pinching at his muscles with intent. How the hell anyone could be out in this is beyond him. But someone is, and it turns out to be his beige-coated neighbor, Aziraphale. Though he's a blob of burgundy now, his pale fingers clutching a snow-covered fleece blanket tight around him. All Crowley can see is his face. His lips are blue with cold, his white curls of hair wet. Crowley can hear his teeth chattering even through the wind. I'm terribly sorry. Sorry to bother you. You. He can barely get the words out, 
and he looks like he's about to keel over. I wondered, wondered if... What the hell are you doing out in this? Crowley grabs for the man's arm, dragging him inside out of the polar bloody vortex that's trying to creep in behind him. Whatever he'd felt the need to come all the way over here for, they can talk about it inside. The chill briefly swirls inside the cabin, his carefully preserved heat having been tossed out in seconds. But he's more concerned about the fact that his cheery neighbor had seen fit to go wandering in it. There's not a smile to be seen anymore. He looks lost and vulnerable and frozen to the bone. Crowley has to resist the urge to lean in and drop his fingers, and the restraint makes his words harsher than he intends. Are you mad? That's a blizzard out there. You could have gotten lost in the snow, wandered out onto the lake, gone through the ice or something. That doesn't even feel overly dramatic at this point. The whole world is white out there. If it weren't for the trees, Crowley would have no idea where the bank ended and the water began. He takes the man's blanket from him, not even needing to unpeel his fingers. They fall away, as if they'd got no strength left in them. He shakes the snow out of the material and throws it over the radiator, replacing it with one of the warm, dry ones from his own sofa. The sound of quiet bliss at the gesture leaves Crowley garbling a noise which isn't even trying to be a word. Thank you so much. Thank you. Seraphiel spends a moment tucking his bare hands inside the new fleece covering, eyes half shut, as if he's trying desperately to absorb the warm air. I, I didn't want to disturb you. The boiler in my cabin broke down a few hours ago. A few hours? Crowley's eyes widen. The thought of the man wandering about over there for hours with no heat, in this weather. No wonder he looks dead on his feet. Why didn't he come over sooner? Aziraphale is still speaking, excuses and apologies steaming out, while Crowley remains horrified that he didn't just immediately head over to him. Had he given the impression that he was someone who'd turn away a man who was freezing to death? Christ, he hopes not. I think one or more of the pipes must have frozen, and the temperature inside has been dropping alarmingly. I couldn't quite manage to keep myself warm, not worth having no hot water, and, um, oh, my fireplace is not a fireplace anymore, you see. There's a television. Isn't that strange? In a place so affected by cold. For them to take away a perfectly fine source of heat. He's babbling, and Crowley honestly doesn't know whether it's the cold or whether that's just Aziraphale's natural reaction to being an unexpected guest. Light one he is. Must be awkward imposing himself on a stranger. Still, it's more than Crowley had the guts to do after that disaster of an introduction earlier. Circumstances beyond their control have changed that now, haven't they? They are going to get to spend time together now, and the man's going to feel like an imposition the whole time if Crowley doesn't manage to act like an actual human being. Oh, Aziraphale is staring towards the far wall. You have a fireplace, I see. Jolly good. It's nice to know you'll be warm. Aziraphale. Crowley does reach out then, both hands lifting to catch hold of Aziraphale's upper arms through the blanket, 
and he feels surprisingly sturdy under the grasp. Come on, sit down. He eases Aziraphale down onto a sofa and packs another few blankets around him, wondering if he should take the men's shoes off too. Seems a bit forward. Of all the ways he'd imagined getting to know his neighbor, this hadn't factored into any of his idle fantasies. The thought that he could have been over there freezing to death while Crowley moped and complained about his cold fingers and his view and only having three flavors of soup. I don't mean to be a bother, but I'm not sure there's any way I could stay in my own cabin and still be up too much come morning. Polite way of saying he would have frozen to death. Crowley thinks with a grimace. You're not a bother, he insists. Storm of the century deal out there, isn't it? Of course you couldn't be expected to stay somewhere without a way to stay warm. My boiler might be working overtime, but it's working. One of Aziraphale's hands wiggles its way out of the blanket and folds over Crowley's while well, still desperately but ineffectively trying to tuck him in. It's frigid, and Crowley finds himself instinctively curling his fingers around it, trying to rub some warmth into the man. He gets a smile for the first time, a wobbly thing with lips that look a little cracked by the coat. But it's warm and gentle, no one has smiled at him like that for years. Crowley pushes down, effectively stamps down on the faint throb of his heart. Mm, yeah, are you hungry? You want some tea, a soup, toast, something warm? Tea would be amazing, thank you. Crowley heads into the kitchen to prepare the tea. Chamomile seems like a good option. Under the initial startling shock of having a zero feel here in his house, Crowley is starting to catch up with the weight of reality. There's a real possibility the blizzard will only worsen and that the boiler won't be enough. When he comes back to the living room, there's a small pool under Zerafield's feet and the back of the sofa where his shoulders are pressed to the cushions seems damp. Here's your tea, Crowley says, slipping the muck in Aziraphale's soft hands, making sure they fold around it before releasing him. Aziraphale still seems slightly pale. Thank you. Crowley might not know about survival in extreme weathers, but it doesn't seem healthy to have Aziraphale with wet clothes stuck to him. Isn't that survival 101? To verbalize the suggestion feels like a tremendous push in boundaries, but he blunders forward, determined that the other man at least be comfortable. You know, your shoes are wet. And your jumper isn't exactly dry either, is it? Oh, it's a quite half affair. I'm, I'm sorry. I didn't intend to ruin your... Aziraphale tries to lever himself up, but Crowley curls fingers around the round of his shoulder, pressing him back into the sofa. Hey, hey, it's fine, Aziraphale. I wasn't telling you because of that. I'm just worried. He's definitely worried. Aren't you supposed to take off the cold and damp clothes to avoid hypothermia? Well, Aziraphale flushes pink. I wouldn't like to impose. Of course. To die over being undignified. Perfect English bloke. Ugh, don't be ridiculous. 
Aziraphale doesn't seem able to decide on whether to undress or not. Perhaps still intimidated by the certainly not welcoming attitude Crowley had spotted earlier that day. Do you mind? I'll do it myself. Really is fine, Crowley says, before letting the idea gain too much uncomfortable heft in his stomach. He sinks to the floor. Drink your tea. Ah, Aziraphale lets out a shuddery exhale. He folds his hand round Crowley's wrist, palm cold. Dear, you don't have to. The endearment, likely accidental, causes a warm twist in his stomach, which he ignores. Don't want you to go dying on me, because you're all prim and proper. Crowley bites back, sliding his hand from Aziraphale's gentle, nervous hold. Really, sit back, drink your tea. You look half dead. He's already working on an Oxford, untying the laces, when he sees Aziraphale give a tentative, careful sip of his tea finally easing into the situation. Thank you. Crowley shrugs, pretending the beat of his heart is a steady rhythm. That's what he does best. His fingers slip over the shoelaces, then work the leather until he has them off, placing both of them close to the fire. The socks are a tartan pair, and Crowley's somehow amused by the discovery. A bow tie on his neck, tartan on his socks. The man is impossibly lovely, and if Crowley hadn't seen him firsthand, he would have deemed him unreal. But he's very solid under his fingers, under the careful slide of his hands, while he pushes a wet sock down a supple calf, a shapely turned ankle finally revealing the pale length of a foot. He repeats the motion on the other side. Aziraphale's trousers are soaked up to his knees, which probably isn't terribly comfortable. Crowley considers he should also remove the cream jumper, and perhaps his shirt too, which is damp about the shoulders. If he stops to think about the fact he's now facing the possibility of slowly undressing his gorgeous neighbor under the cracking noises of the fireplace and the reassuring warmth all around, he'll probably do something very stupid like asking, So, you're alone here? Fuck! Aziraphale raises his brows. Uh, yes, actually. There's a strain to the admission, a subtle slant to the words that makes Crowley immediately regret his question. Um, all alone here, too. He shares instead. The socks are also wet, and he spreads them about the floor. Last time, I take into account my best friend's advice for a week's break. Well, Zeraphil's mouth stretches in half a smile. It has certainly worked out well for me. If you hadn't been here... If Crowley hadn't been here, Zeraphil would have been dead by now. Yeah. Yeah. Crowley echoes his thoughts. Aziraphale's toes wiggle over the carpet, as if he was testing the feel and flex of them. Crowley's still worried about the rest of his clothes, but it seems outrageously bold to ask. No, no, this is just business. I think you should take off your trousers. He finally rushes out. They are soaked through. It could have been the heat of the fireplace, but Zeofit's cheeks tint crimson. You really don't mind? Nah, 
Not at all. Come on, it's for your own sake. Crony tips back on his haunches, giving an encouraging tug at them. And while you're at it, better remove every part of your clothing that's damp. I don't know if you would want me parading around in my pants and undershirt. An apology clings to the words, so very embarrassed. No one has ever shown themselves to be so gentle, so wonderfully considerate. But the idea of seeing more of Aziraphale, of reveling in the beautiful lines and soft curves of him, has Crowley suppressing a sigh, the shape of it grating at the back of his throat. Like I said, it's fine. Aziraphale nods and stands up, carefully easing his trousers down and stepping out of them, before handing them to Crowley once he's up as well. He places them on a radiator, and when he comes back, Aziraphale has already gotten rid of his jumper and powder blue shirt. Crowley catches a flash of pale thigh, a thick spread of arms, before Aziraphale is bundling himself back into two blankets, hiding his body under the warm fleece. Oh, you were right, he says. I feel much better. Crowley tries his best to offer a smile in return, grasps the shirt and jumper, slightly wet, and strews them on the floor next to the socks. Well, hopefully the warmth of the fire can reach them. Told ya. He does his best not to linger on the closeness, on the intimate vulnerability of having a Xerophil so perfectly peeled off all those layers. It's not as if suddenly this is going to turn into loosened camaraderie between friends. They are only acquaintances at best. Crowley ignores the sharp pang in his stomach when the rattling noise pulls his attention to the boiler. Buck! He rushes to it under Xerophil's concerned look before realizing the thing is possibly mere months away from dying if he keeps it on. He's pushed it to its limit. Crowley quickly turns it off before the situation is irreparable. Sorry, he says, coming back to Aziraphale's side. I had to turn it off, otherwise it would have died on us, or worse. Not your fault. At least, at least, we still have the fireplace. Maybe we can sit closer? The uncertainty there feels so unnecessary. Crowley is more than happy to tuck in close. Sure, but hang on, let me get you something. He takes a quick detour to his mostly unpacked suitcase for some dry socks. It's the only thing he has that will fit the other man. His feet can be warm at least. The look on Aziraphale's face when he sees what Crowley had brought him is so impossibly touched that all he can do is awkwardly press them over, watch the other man slip the black socks over his pale feet, and then wriggle his toes delightedly. Thank you so much. Very thoughtful of you. Aziraphale moves until he's sitting on the plush carpet in front of the fire. Come on now, the temperature is going to drop significantly. Crowley nods agreement, because that's definitely true. Though it still takes him a minute to tow off his boots and sink down next to him, dragging a blanket for himself from the armchair, since it's fairly safe to say that he's going to need it soon, too.
We can keep the boiler for emergencies. Crowley reassures him when he sees Aziraphale react by gathering all the blankets in close, while the ones still settled over the radiator from Aziraphale's cabin. If we need to warm the place up a bit, if we strain it and it breaks, then we lose that option completely. I think that's a very good idea, Aziraphale tells him which goes a long way to providing Crowley with some warmth, even if it's only on his face. To be continued in Chapter 2